0: Let's read the Holy Scriptures together tonight in Numbers chapter 25. We'll read the entire chapter. God's Word at Numbers 25, verse 1. And Israel abode in Shittim, And the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. And they called the people unto the sacrifices of their gods. And the people did eat and bowed down to their gods. And Israel joined himself unto Baal-peor. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And the Lord said unto Moses, Take all the heads of the people and hang them up before the Lord against the sun, that the fierce anger of the Lord may be turned away from Israel. And Moses said unto the judges of Israel, Slay ye every one his men that were joined unto Baal Peor. And behold, one of the children of Israel came and brought unto his brethren a Midianitish woman in the sight of Moses and in the sight of all the congregation of the children of Israel, who were weeping before the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And when Phinehas, the son of Eliezer, the son of Aaron the priest, saw it, he rose up from among the congregation and took a javelin in his hand. And he went after the man of Israel into the tent and thrust both of them through, the man of Israel and the woman, through her belly. So the plague was stayed from the children of Israel. And those that died in the plague were twenty and four thousand And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, hath turned my wrath away from the children of Israel, while he was zealous for my sake among them, that I consume not the children of Israel in my jealousy. Wherefore, say, behold, I give unto him my covenant of peace. And he shall have it and his seed after him, even the covenant of an everlasting priesthood, because he was zealous for his God and made an atonement for the children of Israel. Now the name of the Israelite that was slain, even that was slain with the Midianitish woman, was Zimri, the son of Seleu the prince of the chief house among the Simeonites. And the name of the Midianitish woman that was slain was Cosby, the daughter of Zer. He was head over a people and of a chief house in Midian. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Vex the Midianites and smite them. For they vex you with their wiles, wherewith they have beguiled you in the matter of Peor. And in the matter of Cosby, the daughter of a prince of Midian, their sister, which was slain in the day of the plague for Peor's sake. There ends our reading of God's holy word tonight. May the Lord add his blessing to our reading. Of the sacred scripture. This passage of scripture records an event in the history of the children of Israel shortly before they entered into the promised land. By a mighty hand, God had delivered Israel out of the bondage of Egypt. He had sent against Egypt the ten terrible plagues that had devastated the world power of that day. And finally, he had drowned Pharaoh and his host in the waters of the Red Sea. For forty years now, the Lord has preserved Israel through her wanderings in the wilderness. He has given to the children of Israel food daily, the manna from heaven. And he has sent water from the rock that followed them. They were provided for in a wonderful way. And now the children of Israel stand ready to cross the Jordan River and to enter into the promised land. God's salvation is not only negative, but it is positive. We are not only delivered from something, but we are delivered unto something. It was at this point in Israel's history, that she fell into grievous sin. At this time, they sin by mingling themselves with the wicked Moabites who are in alliance with the Midianites. They commit fornication. And they involve themselves in the worship of the idol gods. The god Baal in particular. This is what scripture here and elsewhere refers to as the matter of Baal Peor. Verse 18 of this 25th chapter. For they vex you with their wiles, where they, wherewith they have beguiled you in the matter of Peor. This event in the history of the children of Israel has application to the New Testament Church of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul makes this abundantly plain in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. In 1 Corinthians 10, verses 7 and 8. Neither be ye idolaters, as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink, and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed, and fell in one day three And twenty thousand. And then in verse 11, the apostle goes on to say, Now all these things happened unto them for ensamples, and they are written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. By the way, there is an apparent, only an apparent discrepancy between what we read here in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that 23,000 fell in one day as a result of God's judgment on the idolaters and fornicators at Baal. Peor, whereas we read in Numbers twenty four, Numbers twenty five, that twenty four thousand died of the plague. That's verse eight, Uh, verse nine, and those that died in the plague were twenty and four one thousand, apparently a one thousand man discrepancy. That discrepancy is cleared up when we consider what Moses writes a bit earlier in the chapter in verse four that the heads of the people, the princes, the princes who in fact took the lead in this sin at Peor were commanded to be hanged before the Lord. There were apparently 1,000 of these princes who together with God's plague among the people resulting in the death of 23,000 brings the grand total to 24,000. This event then is applicable to us New Testament believers. The great evil against which this history warns is the evil of worldliness, the evil of mingling ourselves with unbelievers. It is the refusal to live antithetically over against sin and the sinful world around us. That's the enduring lesson in the matter of Baal Peor. I call that to your attention this evening. The matter of Baal Peor. Let's notice three things together. First of all, Israel's sin. In the second place, Phinehas' zeal. And in the third place, Jehovah's response At this time in her history the children of Israel joined themselves to Baal-peor verse 3 And Israel joined himself unto Baal-peor and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel that they joined themselves to Baal-peor is a description of Israel's sin at this time. Peor was a mountain in Moab. In fact, it was the very mountain on which Balak had taken the false prophet Balaam in order to curse the children of Israel. Numbers 23 Verses 27 and 28 here. And Balak said unto Balaam, Come, I pray thee. I will bring thee unto another place. Peradventure, it will please God that thou mayest curse me them from thence. And Balak brought Balaam unto the top of Peor that looketh toward Jeshimon. Baal was the idol god that was worshipped by the Moabites and the Midianites as well on Mount Peor. On the top of Mount Peor, there was this shrine to the idol god Baal and an altar for sacrifice unto Baal. Baal was a Canaanite deity. Baal was the warrior God. He was also the God of fertility. Baal was the God of earthly prosperity and earthly power. Baal was the God most worshipped among all the idol gods of the Canaanites. And so Israel at this time is said to join herself with Baal Peor. That is, Israel's sin was that she participated in, joined with the Midianites and the Moabites in the worship of Baal Peor. Israel's sin at this time consisted. Of several things. First of all, it consisted of fornication. Fornication with the Moabites and those who were allied with the Moabites, the Midianites. This was the fornication that we read of early in the chapter and that later was judged by God when he sent that plague among Israel. His judgment was first of all for their fornication, their wicked violation of the seventh commandment of God's holy law. In the second place, their sin was that they participated in accepted the invitation to join in a sacrificial meal that was dedicated to the gods of the Moabites and Midianites, chiefly the god Baal. This festivity was a time of recreation, sinful recreation. It was a time... Of entertainment, lewd entertainment. 1 Corinthians 10 describes this as their playing. The children of Israel played, involved themselves in sinful recreation with the Moabites and the Midianites. Recreation is not sinful in itself. But there is such a thing as sinful recreation. And that was the kind of recreation that the children of Israel were involved in. And finally, they joined with the Moabites and the Midianites in worship. The worship of the idol gods. Baal, Peor, in particular. The second part of verse 2. And the people did eat and bowed down to their gods. The psalmist, in Psalm 106, versification of which we just sang moments ago, refers to this in verse 28. Psalm 106, verse 28. And they joined themselves also to Baal Peor and ate the sacrifices of the dead. The reference there to the sacrifices of the dead may very well refer to the sin of necromancy as it's referred to frequently in the Old Testament Scriptures. That is, by means of sacrifice and worship, contacting the dead, having communication with those who are dead and departed, alleging that through these Sacrifices and pagan ceremonies, contact with the departed was made possible. And then, especially in the interests of foretelling what the future was. Balaam was the instigator of this evil. Balaam stood behind the matter. Of Baal or That doesn't come out necessarily in our passage, but we know that the false prophet Balaam had his hand in this affair. This is mentioned later in Numbers 31, verse 16. When God commands the children of Israel to avenge the Moabites and Midianites. In Numbers 31, verse 16, the Lord adds, Behold, these caused the children of Israel through the counsel of Balaam to commit trespass against the Lord in the matter of Peor, And there was a plague among the congregation of the Lord. The essence of Balaam's advice to Balak and the leading princes of the Moabites and Midianites was that the best way, the best way to destroy Israel, the three times Balaam had attempted to curse Israel, having been turned by God into blessing of the children of Israel. After his attempts to curse Israel failed, Balaam gave this advice to Balak Don't fight against Israel. But entice Israel. Don't make warfare against the Israelites, but make friends with the Israelites. And it was that wicked counsel of Balaam that Balak listened to and that he implemented in our chapter. Tonight, there are times when the world uses force, persecution, or the threat of persecution against believers. He's used that tactic many times in the past. And he's using it in various parts of the world today. He's going to use it again at the very end of time, just before our Lord Jesus comes again. But that's not the devil's premier tactic. His tactic of choice is beguilement. His tactic of choice is to seduce Believers, to draw them away from the truth and the life that adorns the truth. And then, in particular, to draw them away with the enticements of this world, the enticements, especially to sexual sin. That's why verse 18 speaks of wiles and speaks of being beguiled. For they vex you with their wiles wherewith they have beguiled you. Wiles and beguiled. Those are deceitful tactics. The deceit of pretending to be one's friend when in fact you are an enemy. Pretending that you have their best interests in view when in fact you have their destruction, their temporal and their eternal destruction in view. This is far and away the tactic that the devil is using in our own day. This is the beguilement that we and our young people especially are facing in this land of ours. This was serious sin, grievous sin on the part of the children Of Israel. That was true first of all. Because the sins themselves. Were grievous sins. Sins never to be taken lightly. There was the sin of fornication. The apostle teaches in 1 Corinthians 6. That the body is not for fornication. Fornication but that the body is for the Lord. He teaches that no fornicator, impenitent fornicator that is, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. The children of Israel snub their nose at that will of God forbidding fornication and calling to the use of their bodies as temples of the Holy Spirit. And they gave themselves over, openly, to the sin against the seventh commandment. And it was idolatry, for the fornication that they committed was in the service Of their idolatry. In the service of the worship. Of Baal. In the service of the worship. Of the gods. Of this world. In the sinful idolatry. Of the service. Of self. The service of one's self. The ultimate idolatry. And their sin was serious because it was apostasy. It was a turning away from God. A deliberate turning away from God and a turning unto the gods of this world. But besides the seriousness of these sins themselves. Israel's sin at this time is serious because it was the height of ingratitude. God had graciously delivered them out of the bondage, the misery, and the death of Egypt. In a marvelous way, God had preserved them through their wilderness wanderings. The manna and the water from the rock, only small parts really of God's provision of them. The soles of their sandals never wore out, nor their garments became threadbare in a wonderful way. God provided for them. And now, God is ready to lead them across the Jordan into the promised land. He's pledged to give them a land that's overflowing with milk and honey. And He's promised them That he will fight for them. So that the Canaanites will be subdued. Not by sword. Or by shield. But will be subdued. By God himself. And it's at this point. That Israel forsakes God. And it's at this point that Israel joins herself to Baal Peor, a faithless husband or wife, turning against their faithful spouse. Additionally, what aggravated this sin was that it was so widespread that it was the sin that was being promoted by the leaders in Israel, we would say the elders in the church were promoting this worship of Baal and this participation in the godless festivities in the service of Baal Peor. Because the sin was so widespread, As God's judgment, destroying 23,000 of them, indicates the sin was serious. It was an epidemic relay. And what made Israel's sin the most serious is that by her sin, Israel abandoned, refused to live the life of the antithesis, refused to live a life of spiritual separation unto God. She was overcome with worldliness. The passage makes that plain. That's plain from the description of Israel's sin in the chapter as adjoining adjoining of herself to Baal-peor. Verse 3. They joined themselves to the unbelieving, ungodly Moabite And Midianites. The word in the original in verse three for joining themselves is the Hebrew word for yoking. They yoked themselves to Baal Peor. That reminds us. Of the language of 2 Corinthians 6. That calls us. Not to be unequally yoked together. With unbelievers. That's exactly the sin. That Israel made herself guilty of. That Israel's sin here. Was abandonment. Of the life of the antithesis also comes out from the fact that as a reward for his action, God establishes his covenant with Phinehas. The covenant is friendship and fellowship. And that's exactly an indication of the sin of the children of Israel. Rather than to live as God's covenant people. Rather than to live in friendship and in fellowship with Him. They joined themselves to Baal Peor. They abandoned their calling to live antithetically. And they made common cause with the world of unbelief. What makes the abandoning of the antithesis so serious is that this, this more than anything else, spells the destruction of the church. Satan knows that. The false church knows that. Often better than the true church. How destructive and how pervasive are the results of abandonment of the antithesis. This is the sin. That the Israel of God today is often guilty of. This is the case when the church abandons the life of obedience to God's commandments for that which pleases the people. The majority, the flesh. This isn't only doctrinal. A doctrinal abandonment of the antithesis. Though it often begins there. The pervasive doctrine in Reformed and Presbyterian churches today, of common grace and the vigorous defense of common grace in the name of biblical and confessional truth, which of course, it is not. But the widespread acceptance Of that false teaching that there is common ground upon which both believer and unbeliever stand. Joint efforts that believer and unbeliever can be involved in. So that we may join arm and arm. And make common cause. With the world. But the church does this practically today. Not just. doctrinally. It makes common cause. With the viewpoint of the world. The world and life view. Of the ungodly. It allows itself to be influenced by the wicked world's teaching concerning homosexuality and allows for acceptance of approval of the homosexual sinful lifestyle and lust. It concurs With the wicked world and false churches defense of abortion. Opening up abortion as a viable option for professing Christians. Or the church embraces the teaching of the world with regard to divorce. And remarriage. Denying that marriage is for life. Denying the biblical truth that only death, which is to say only God, can dissolve the marriage bond. The thinking in practice. Of the false church. Condoning these. And many other. Activities. Promoting. Within its. Own ranks. Desecration of the Sabbath day. What? Are you serious? You go to church. Twice? On Sunday? You listen to two sermons of 45 minutes or more? Well, once is enough, surely. And the rest of the day should be yours for your own entertainment and recreation. The downtime. The me time that everyone needs for themselves. And so, it goes on and on. Worldly entertainment is justified. Movies of the worst sort. Movies that are violent. Movies that take God's name in vain. Movies in which there is open sin against the seventh commandment are not only approved, but we pipe them into our own living rooms or watch them on our own personal computers. Carnal lust of the worst sort I came into your living room and took God's name in vain, would you let that go? Would you allow someone to commit fornication while you were beholding it and your children? Of course not. And yet we allow ourselves to be entertained by those who do those very things. And always, it's a process. It doesn't start out where it ends. It begins always with carnal lust. Here it was fornication. A carnal lust of any sort. Then it advances to joining, to affinity with the wicked world. And it ends in our bowing down with them to the idols of this world. Although the great majority of the children of Israel were carried away by the sin Of Baal Peor. One man. Was not. One man stood valiant. For the cause of God. And his worship. And his truth. A man who showed himself. To be zealous. For the cause of God. That man was Phinehaz. The occasion for the action of Phinehaz was the flagrant sin of Zimri and Cosby. Verse 6, And behold, one of the children of Israel came and brought unto his brethren a Midianitish woman in the sight of Moses and in the sight of all the congregation of the children of Israel who were weeping before the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. The flagrance of this sin is shocking. The flagrance of this sin is seen in the fact that the judgment of God had already begun to fall upon the children of Israel at this time. The flagrance of this sin is seen in the fact that Zimri marched this Midianitish woman right in the presence of Moses and the rest of the congregation of Israel who were gathered weeping at the door of the tabernacle of God. Phinehas' zeal is recorded in verses 7 and 8. And when Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, saw it, he rose up from among the congregation and took a javelin in his hand. And he went after the man of Israel into the tent and thrust both of them through, the man of Israel and the woman, through her belly. So the plague was stayed from the children of Of Israel. It was a bold. Decisive act. By Phinehas. The grandson. Of Aaron. The high priest. With a javelin. He thrust through. Both. Zimri. And Cosby. Thrust them through. In the very act. Of their fornication. What motivated Phinehas was holy zeal. Zeal for God and for the cause of God. Verse 11. Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, hath turned my wrath away from the children of Israel while he was zealous for my sake among them. That I consume not the children of Israel in my jealousy. Zeal for God and for the cause of God. In Phinehas, we have an outstanding biblical example of righteous wrath. Anger is not sinful. Not in itself. Although certainly, oftentimes, our anger is sinful anger. But there is such a thing as righteous anger. The anger that consumed Phinehas for the cause of God that was being defied. For the commandments of God that were being trampled upon. For the truth of God that was being denied. Righteous wrath. This is the need of the hour in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Zeal for God and zeal for the cause and glory of God. This is the need of the hour on the part of individual members of the church. Zeal for the cause of God and the worship of God. This is the need of the hour on the part of covenant parents. Zeal for God and for God's commandments in your family and with your children. And this is the need of the hour in the church of Jesus Christ, especially on the part of office bearers. Ministers zealously to preach God's law and God's commandments and the righteous wrath of God visited on impenitent sinners. This is the calling of elders in their work with those who fall into sin and stubbornly persist in their sins to bring home to them the wrath of God so long as they go on Impenitent in sin. A wrath of God that's exhibited in excommunication from the church of Jesus Christ. In Phinehas' zeal, God was well pleased. The Lord's response to the matter of Baal Peor was, first of all, a response of judgment. This was the judgment of God visited on the Moabites and the Midianites who enticed the children of Israel to sin in the matter of Baal Peor. You may read about that judgment yourself later today. Or sometime this week. It's recorded in Numbers 31. There was war against the Midianites. And the Moabites. All the princes who allied themselves with Balak. Were slain. God's judgment was visited. Upon the false prophet Balaam. The prophet died. Under the judgment. Of God. That's. Numbers 31. Verse 8. And they slew the kings. The princes of Midian. Beside the rest of them. That were slain. And then. It mentions them. And then. Goes on to speak. Of the death. Of Balaam. Balaam also the son of Beor. They slew him with the sword. Beside God's judgment on the Moabites and Midianites, and besides his judgment on the false prophet Balaam, God judged his own people, the children of Israel. Judgment always begins at the house of God. He judged the princes of the people who justified who encouraged and who themselves participated in the apostasy, the idolatry, and the immorality. God sent a plague that slew among the people 23,000. 23,000 corpses in one day. What a judgment of God. They perished. They perished in the wilderness never coming into the promised land. This is still God's judgment today on those who abandon the life of the antithesis and make their agreement with the children of this world. God's judgment on their forsaking of the life of the antithesis is that they perish with the world. Loving the world, they perish with the world. They never arrive at the heavenly promised land. In contrast, God's blessing rested upon Phinehas. God blessed him personally, and God blessed him in his family. In his generations. That's significant. That's the covenant blessing. This is true still today. Those who abandon the life of the antithesis. Are not only judged themselves. But they are judged. In their generations. Cut off. In their generations. But God's blessing rests upon those. Who live faithfully the life of the antithesis and his his blessing includes his salvation of them and of their children. The outcome of the incident was that God preserved his people. they were not overcome they were not. Destroyed as surely they deserved and was the intention of Balaam, the false prophet, and of the devil who was behind him. They were not completely wiped out. There remained those now purified, now strengthened, now made fit to enter the promised land. That's the comforting aspect of this sad history. God still preserved his own. And that's also true in the church today. That's true not because of us or anything in us. But this is true because of him. And only because of him who was zealous, perfectly zealous for the cause of God. So zealous that He laid down His own life. Giving Himself to God's wrath and God's judgment for a sinful people like you and like me. Having redeemed his people from the world. He preserves them unto himself. That's his promise. And he is faithful to his promise. But that preservation of them. Is in the way of their separation from the world. It is in the way of our living. The antithesis. Amen. Father in heaven, bless thy word. As we've considered it for a little while tonight. Apply that word unto us. And grant heavenly Father that we be a people who are zealous for the cause of God. A people who keep ourselves from the world. And from Affinity with the world. Living for thee in truth and in righteousness. Forgive our sins. Go with us this week. For Jesus' sake, amen.